It's a, it's a great passage, isn't it? It's, it's one that I've sort of thought about a lot over the years. And um, yeah, I did stop that at verse 11, as you would have noticed, but verse 12 is a very tricky one. I haven't got time to put that in there, but if you, I'm happy to talk about it later if you want to, because it's a very... I've really enjoyed thinking about it, actually. <laughs> but um, uh, the theme of this talk today is greatness. What is it and why talk about greatness, you may well ask. Well, having my inspiration from the scriptures in Mark nine thirty three and 34, it says, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing along the road as you walked? But they didn't answer because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. And do you remember when uh, James and John, his mum, came to Jesus, bringing in the big guns, bringing mum in. So when you're in your kingdom, when you're you know, in your glorious kingdom, can I have uh, James and John, you know, these are the apostles, two of them to sit on either side of you? And, uh, you know, it's all about the greatness. We can think about uh, greatness, I, I think it's kind of everywhere. Um, we want to, you know, one-upmanship, is, you know, who's, who's the best, who's got the best story, um, you know, like in governments, who's got the biggest guns, um, you know, who's going to win the war, you know, like, who's the greatest, you know, and fight, you know, the kids in the, you know, brothers playing with Lego or something, that's, that's mine, that's my Lego, and they'll fight because I'm the greatest, and the little kid will go to mum crying because he wants to be the greatest. Um, and uh, we had the students here at last uh, at our men's breakfast and Ben says, if you want to know who the alpha male is in any situation, he's the one who sings at any birthday party, hip hip. He's the one who calls out, hip hip. That's the alpha male. Do you know who that might be here? <laughs> um, I have some stories. So recently uh, I got a visit from... Uh, a China, young Chinese fellow and he was wanting to make an appointment to sell solar panels for the roof. So we invited him in. It was a, it was a nice, pleasant chap and he did his talk and stuff and just Linda and I were there and um, after he'd finished, finished his spiel, I said, Do you, uh, have you heard of Jesus? And he said, uh, oh, yes. He says, my, my grandmother was a Christian and, and she raised him. So in China... The parents haven't got time to raise their children. They're out making money. So the grandparents raise the children. And um, so I said, oh, I really, like, there was, there was obviously that Christian influence in his life. It was, you could tell by the brightness in his person. And I said, uh, oh, on behalf of your grandmother, could I give you some literature? Because I go out to the prison. I've got a lot of Chinese literature. So uh, we went out the back. And we chatted for a while. One of the things we talked about was there for a long time. His boss ended up ringing up, giving him an earful. <laughs> and uh, I, um, I said, uh, uh, you know that common human experience that we all have, uh, shame and guilt, which kind of connects to judgment. So there's those three things. It's a common human experience for all of us. We do something wrong and we feel shame. I said, that's in the, in the God perspective, that's designed... Uh, for one thing, but we can respond one of two ways. We can run from God or we can run to God humbly, uh, repentantly seeking forgiveness from him. And um, 
And I said to him, I think that God has designed it that way. That's there for us to run to him. And, um, and I said, it's, it's like, and, and because of the judgment aspect, we're just not too certain what he's like, maybe the, particularly the first time. Um, we come to God and, you know, we hear things about him and maybe our dad has given us a fair poor example of, of um, uh, you know, we might think God that is going to whop us when we get to him. But when we do turn to him, humbly, uh, we get to him like the prodigal son, we get this embrace. He embraces us with love and celebrates us. And, um, and I hugged him. I hugged this Chinese guy, as I said, they're telling this story. <laughs> and he, uh, he, um, he accepted it. It was really, it was just a nice time with this guy. And, uh, and there's, I've got another story. Greg and I were doing a, a, a uh, my partner in crime up there, uh, running a Bible study. And, you know how when sometimes you get up in the morning, it's church, you go to church and don't really feel like going to church, you just want to stay in bed, you know, nice rainy day, stay in bed. It's a Bible study, don't really feel like going, but you go. The Bible study kind of had that feel about it. They, we hadn't been for a couple of weeks and there just wasn't as much fervour and, and I wish, where were, where were we up to in the Bible? We're going through the Gospel of John at the moment. And, um, he, and I, so I thought, uh, they've got to do something different here. So I just asked them, how are you going in your faith walk? And so one of them, oh, we just went around how we're going. And then I, I said to my partner in crime, I said, uh, so uh, what about you, Greg? How, how are you going? And, he's, and, and Greg's got his, uh, this knack of putting his finger on a particular thing. And he says, well, there's planes. There's an airport out near the prison. And there's planes always flying around. He says, well, there's a plane up there. And it's having tr- engine trouble. And it's in trouble. And it comes down and it smashes right here in the midst of our Bible study. What's going to happen then? <laughs> and so then we went around and asked the question, what do you guys think when you die? What happens? And so we went around the circle and the ideas that came out were one guy had said like a relationship with Jesus was important. Uh, other guys talked about works. And, you know, doing, do I please God with the things that I do? And another guy talked about reincarnation. And I, I don't judge that. That's, that's fine. It's just good to know what people think. And um, I said, so let's just see what the Bible thinks. And uh, Greg and I laughed about this later <clears throat> because both of us just think Ephesians 2. And that's what was our earlier reading that Francois did. We both go to there. Unplanned. Our Bible studies can be a bit fluid out there. And so we read this in Ephesians 2. I'm reading from the New Living. Uh, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins you used to live in. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subjects of God's anger, just like everyone else. And then it says, but God is so rich in mercy. But before you get to the but God, the good bits that we like to read, we have to spend a bit of time on this here and just take a little bit of ownership. So... um, 
So I was talking to the... Um, what prisoners do, they, they have a they have an understanding of wrongdoing against their fellow men. They've done something. They've been before the judge and they've been sentenced to prison. So they have that um, na- uh, knowledge that they've done wrong things. But they don't always understand what sin is. And so and sin's the, the vertical kind of thing. And it's when we sin against other people, we're actually sinning against God in that same act. And then sin being our rebellion against God. It's like stuff you, God. I'm doing my thing my way. And and so we talk about that a bit. Uh, one time recently as well, and just trying to nail down that a bit more, I was, we were talking to this guy, we actually we asked to look him up, and we were, um, we'd actually woken him up. So he was in a sort of a, uh, a wakey state, and he was a bit um, calmer, and we're having this really deep discussion with him. And he, he said his life went wrong when he was six years old. And he didn't, didn't elaborate on that, but obviously some family thing happened. But uh, we're, we're talking, we're having this deep discussion. And right next to the cell next door, all gathered around the door, there just starts, there's just laughing and loudness and the volume's just going up and up and up and up. And we're sort of talking really loud to... And anyway, he just arcs up at him, tells him to shut up. And uh, he's fuming, you know. <laughs> it built up, you know, I was getting him as he's talking. And then he barks at him, and then Greg and I thought he's going to turn on us after that. He didn't, thankfully. But I said to him, oh, he straight away he said to me, he said, oh, I hate it when I do that. And uh, I hate that side of me, that he just gets angry like that. And um, I said to him that, well, actually, I usually describe my conversion as I was walking around in a dark room and somebody else has turned the light on. And I've got my priorities and bearings about life and how I fit into it and everything. But I said this differently, and I think it's more theological. I think, uh, I said, there's darkness within. And then light came in. And he said, I've just got such deep darkness in me, he says. And, um, and Greg, my brother, I've asked permission to use this line that Greg often uses. He says, I was a mongrel and I knew it. And he says, but at the same time, I knew that God loved me. And so, we need to um, take ownership of the sinful, our sinful nature. And, and I remember as a young Christian saying that, oh, we're talking about a particular sin with someone. I said, oh, it's not, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And uh, as an older Christian, I say, yeah. It was that bad, and it is that bad. And I think that if you want to put it in context to know how I can say that, God allowed people like me and you to slaughter his son. And that's what it took for us to gain forgiveness. So if our sin's just not that bad, it doesn't sort of equate to have such a drastic slaughtering of the Son of God. And so our sin is exceedingly bad. If we don't take ownership of that, we will never take ownership of the next part, which is the grace of God. But if we have taken ownership, we can move on. You know that verse Jesus says, he says, he who has been forgiven much will love much. So Ephesians 2 to 8, on to the next nice part. 
But God is so rich in mercy, it says in verse 4. Verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. After reading this, one guy says, Oh, so you, you, you just got to believe. Well, it's not rocket science. And, but it does take a revelation from God. And so I asked, believe what? And in that 2000, we fleshed it out a bit, but in that 2,000 year old event where the Son of God was crucified and three days later rose from the dead. That's what we believe as Christians. If that didn't happen, if he never rose, we are wasting our time here just being nice and fluffy. So there are a couple of my stories. But what do they have to do with greatness? Uh, Jesus gives a bit of testimony regarding John from our reading. Verse 2, chapter 11 of Matthew. Uh, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So John's clearly entertaining some doubts here. What are they? So Jesus' response reflects part of what John has said about Jesus and John would have known the parts that Jesus left out. Which parts did he leave out? So the references he's using are from Isaiah and John the Baptist would certainly have known the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 35, 4 and 5 it says, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. In Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, there's another reference. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come and with it the day of God's anger against his enemies. And it's the same in the Malachi passage where, where it's talking about uh, John uh, his ministry. In verse 2, it goes on to say, in the day of the Lord it's talking about, of Malachi 3, um, but who will be able to endure it when it comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross. And it goes on in, in chapter 4 as well. There's, so Jesus is going around doing all these nice things, 
uh, healing people and raising the dead. But where's the, where's the judgment that John's been talking about? Remember John, when he talked about him, he's going to come in with his winnowing fork, you know, sifting the, the chaff from the wheat. And John's not seeing that. And so he's in prison now too, to, out of the ponnet, and he's got doubts. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect another? <coughs> Verse 6. Hang in there. No one really knew until Jesus' time that the coming of this Messiah was a two-stage event. The first time to save sinners and the second time for judgment. <coughs> We're in between and the second appearing of Jesus hasn't come and judgment hasn't come, but it will come. Uh, verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go out into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. There's something about this prophet that is different than all the other prophets. Unlike other prophets, John is a prophet to whom there is prophecy. And Jesus elevates John even higher in verse 11. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, no one, none is greater than John the Baptist. Bam! That's what makes you think about this verse, doesn't it? Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So what does this mean? That John is greater than King David? That he's greater than Moses? He's greater than Abraham? He's greater than all the prophets? What? So what is it that makes John great? Well, we've got to look at what those prophecies were. And in our verse it says, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way before you. So that's a prophecy from Malachi 3.1. As a, as a recognised prophet, John is baptising people with a baptism of repentance, setting the stage for the coming of the Messiah. So in that verse, sorry, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. Who's the you? The you is Jesus, the Messiah. And he will prepare your way, the Messiah's way, before you. And it was in this setting... Yeah, it was in this setting that uh, John was given the privilege of introducing the Messiah onto the stage of history. And in uh, uh, John chapter 1, verse 29, uh, John says, Look! the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was John. He was preparing the way and he was the one given to point out who the Messiah was. So uh, the Lord spoke to John and said, the one in which you see the, the Spirit descend upon in the form of a dove, he's the one. He's the one to point out. And so he sees him and he points him out and... Um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, like the two-stage coming of the Lord. There's the, the saving sinners 
and there's the judgment, there's the, there's the lion and there's the lamb. And Jesus is both those things. So, let's say, for instance, so we're talking about what makes John great. Let's say, for instance, Francois introduced me here saying, Jared, Jared is the greatest person in Australia that has ever lived here. (laughs) Haven't you got anything to throw? (laughs) But in effect... Jesus is saying what makes John great is because he has introduced me onto the stage of history. So when uh, someone says something like that, you either bow down and worship him or you find what you can. And and in fact, that's what they tried to do to Jesus because he made such bold claims at different times through his life, his ministry on earth, they tried to stone him in that. But it wasn't his time. But it's... It's totally fitting for Jesus to speak this way. In Galatians 4.4 it says, But when the time is right, or in the fullness of time, I like that phrase, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. God's plan of salvation in Jesus was never an afterthought. Some people think that, oh, you know, the other thing, the first commandment, the old, sorry, the old covenant never worked. We'll have to whack this new one in. But Jesus was always on centre stage that time in history from before creation. It was always going to be God himself on that tree, slaughtered in humility um, to, to win us, to, to pay the price for our sin, that we might be his own children. Uh, like when I think about the humility that that takes from uh, I, I, it's just very humbling. <laughs> what can you say? That that's how he planned it. There's no mistakes. God hasn't made any mistakes. We see lots of trouble. But Jesus said, gave us words for that too. In this world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And then he says, Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. How so? Are we now, because I kind of put myself in the category of the least, are we now greater than King David? Or what makes John the Baptist great also makes the least in the kingdom great. John doesn't know he's going to lose his head in chapter 14 of Matthew. He never gets to see Jesus die and rise from the dead. But we do have that knowledge we can point to jesus in a more fuller sense than john and uh the a wonderful thing about the the bible is we have three eyewitness accounts matthew mark and john and then we have luke which was an account of the general populace of that time who uh 
confirmed what the apostles had said. So we have eyewitness accounts. We don't have any Chinese whispers. Um, it's direct, um, just through one person. John saw it, and then we take his word for it. Uh, so John pointed Jesus out, but we can point Jesus out in a fuller sense than what John could. And that what's, that's what makes the least in the kingdom greater than John, greater than Moses, greater than David. John says this about Jesus in chapter 3 of John. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. And I think that's our testimony as well. He must become greater and greater and we must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things. But he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands, and everyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but God's remains but remains under God's angry judgment. So, I hope from these verses that it's made clear that Jesus is the greatest, which is to say that the one and only God is the greatest. So when we learn about Jesus, we're learning about God. Jesus is the uh, second member in the uh, triune God, the three in one, the one in three. So what do we do with this information? Jesus helps us out here as well in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen to 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. So this is after the resurrection. So Jesus resurrected from the dead. He was on the earth for 40 days and then he ascended before this situation here. And this is what he said just before he left them. So he gets them together and some of them doubt. This is the 11, remember? So Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the apostles doubted. So we shouldn't be surprised when we doubt. But Jesus tells us how to deal with our doubts. You may not see it in there, but it's there. He said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. Go and teach. Baptise him. Teach him to obey. Doubts will come. Don't let them stumble you. Like when doubts come, I... Or when even um, things I don't understand come along. I'll, I'll grab that thing, maybe it's in front of me, and I'll pick it up and I'll stick it on a shelf and I'll wait for more information. I've found that more information comes and you can make sense of those things. But the idea is to don't let them stumble you. The two stories I shared earlier aren't just stories, they are great stories because they are about the one who is the greatest. And so are your stories. 
When whatever you are doing is for the exaltation of Jesus, lives can be changed. Life, light and love can be spread. So how does this work out in our lives? Christ is the greatest and for us to take this message to this generation must be our Christian priority. You might think, oh golly, I don't really think like that very often. And that may be so, but the lives we are living can be in line with the Great Commission anyway. Look where you are today, in church. You're gathered here with your Christian friends to encourage them just by being you. But by being you, it's no longer just you, because you have the Spirit of God within you. Is it too much of a stretch to say that we are living in line with the Great Commission in this? Not everybody's in church. Maybe we need to be more missional in our thinking, which can actually enhance our witness over time. My experience of the church over the years uh, is of being a community-oriented, so praying for each other, praying for those who have responsibilities here so that the great news of Jesus may continue to be spoken. When you leave here, you go to many places in the community. You go to work, school, sporting clubs, social clubs. Again, being mindful that you are there for Christ, not just for your own interest. If we take this missional mindset with us, life can be so much more interesting and exciting. So when you do the normal things you do in this community, remember to keep loving people, keep giving, keep sharing, keep caring, keep walking with whoever that might be, keep being a friend. Hospitality. Invite people for a meal, a cup or a chat. Call in rather than not call in. Share your weekend activities. Simply spending time with people. When we give to missions, we're partnering in the work of the Great Commission. Again, we can be praying. And I would say, encourage to pray where, when you go to work, pray for opportunity to love people. You don't have to preach at people. People don't want to be preached at. Just live your life well before him. But pray for people that he might do something because unless he's building the house, it's vanity for us. But if he's doing it, you can trust him that he is and will because he chooses to act uh, according through the prayers of his people. As long as you're in this community engaging with it, God has not forsaken these people. On the other hand, if there is no godly ambassador, how will they know any different? We are partners in this work. Peter says that we are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Jesus is the cornerstone, but we need each other. In the words of John Wesley, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can, by the grace of God. Truly Jesus is worth it, and so are the people in this community. Would you like to pray with me? Uh, gracious and living, loving Father, the one who is wonderful, the one, the one who is... Uh, who is greatness. 
who is humble, who is loving and who is kind. Uh, Lord, help us to see you, to know that you love us, to know that you care for us, to know that you've bought us with such a great price, to know that you've not just bought us for ourselves, but you've bought us for others, that we might share the hope and the joy, the life and the laughter with others. Thank you that you celebrate with us, Lord, and uh, thank you that you are the joy of our salvation. And um, Lord, please, please go before us. Please prepare the way this week as we uh, meet with people, as we live our lives in our communities. Help us to see you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep the roof.